Oh, and Emmanuel, we love Palm Sunday. And I want to say thank you to all of you kids. You did such a great job. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for helping make our Palm Sunday extra, extra special. Well, we do love Palm Sunday around here. Why? Why do we love Palm Sunday so much? If you downloaded your notes page for today, there's a place to write this down. We love Palm Sunday because we care about people. For example, this is an opportunity for us, an opportunity for us to involve kids in the service and not just to involve them, but to anchor their faith to a real historical event. An event that reminds us that Jesus was more than a, a teacher. He was more than a do-gooder, that he was truly the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Last week, speaking to kids, I found myself in one of those conversations where we're talking about how concerned we are for the next generation. <laughs> Have you been in any of those lately? And I ask that rhetorically because I know the answer to that. Many of you have. In fact, my inbox is so full right now of all kinds of links to articles and videos and book recommendations and podcasts that highlight very concerning trends in politics and education and social media and entertainment. And these trends that people are concerned about, that I'm concerned about, they're not just affecting kids. They're affecting people of all ages. And one of the reasons that we love Palm Sunday so much is it gives us great context to ask important questions like this. There's a place to write this in your notes too. How would you respond if you knew that a whole crowd was heading for a cliff? How would you respond? Have you seen those stories? where someone, they, 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 they're out there and they, they have this incredible view. And so what do they do? They grab their phone, right? And, and let's say that great view is behind me, some big cliff, the Grand Canyon or something. And they get out there and they start backing up and they start backing up, they start backing up. And what happens? They fall right off that cliff, don't they? We I see about one of those stories a month of somebody where that happens. Well, what if you saw somebody getting too close to the edge? You'd want to warn them, right? Well, if you're just joining us, we're in a teaching series, and that series is called Living Martyrs, Witness That Changes the World. And I'm so excited to dig into today's Palm Sunday text. It's this passage where we get to see how Jesus responds, how he responds when there's these people, this big crowd of people, and they're quoting scripture, and they're singing these God songs, and they're proclaiming Jesus is king, but that crowd. In fact, the entire nation is heading for a cliff. And we get a chance to see how Jesus responds. All right, let's dive in. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start with verse 11. If you don't have a Bible at home, there is a great place you can go right now. You can go to uversion.com. There's a great Bible app that they have. Uh, we highly recommend it. All right, here we go. Uh, the Bibles, our <laughs> Bibles, our Bible contains four separate accounts of this Palm Sunday. In fact, two of them are from eyewitnesses. The one we're going to look at today comes from Luke. He was a physician slash historian who was really attentive to detail. And one of the things that I've learned is that Luke has a lot of content, 
that the other Gospels don't. And when he includes those details, I've learned to pay attention because there's always a reason. And we're going to see some of those details here. He's got some content in his Palm Sunday account that none of the others have. So I'm really excited to dig in. But let's start here. We're going to start with verse 11 because this provides the context for what's called the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday account. So here's verse uh, chapter 19, verse 11 says this. When they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell them a parable because, now tune in for this, he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. All right, this is really important context. Jesus is about to enter the city of Jerusalem. Normally, the city had a population, an estimated population, 25,000, 30,000. But at this time, when Jesus was about to enter, this was the season when people thought the kingdom of God might appear immediately. This was Passover. And thousands and thousands of pilgrims would come. In fact, some estimates that I saw in some of my resources, they said there might have been 200,000, 300,000 people there for this moment. And it was a moment when they thought, if the Messiah is going to come, this is going to be the time. He'll come in from the east. He'll ride in triumphantly. And he'll make all things right. So that's the expectation that a lot of people had when every, every uh, uh, Passover, that this could be the time. So now let's turn to uh, verses 28 through 32. And let's actually read this triumphal entry account. Here we go. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and, and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and when you are entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, and they found it just as he had told them. All right. These details matter. They matter. As we'll see in verses 33 through 34, things are going to come to pass in the future just as Jesus said they would. Let's take a look at that. Verses 33, now through 34, it says this, And as they were untying this colt, the owner said, just what Jesus said, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. All right. The future played out just as Jesus said it would. And this sets up what's to come, a future that only Jesus can see. As Jesus nears the city, people begin to recognize this could be the moment. This could be it. The, the one that we, the moment we've been praying for and, and hoping for as a nation for hundreds of years. There was an ancient prophecy. You can find this in the Bible too, Zechariah 9, 9. It goes like this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the people, they're seeing this and they began to think, is this the year? Could Jesus be the one? Man, he checks the boxes. He's a prophet. He's a miracle worker. He is the one that even the wind and the waves obeyed. Could he be the Messiah? All right, let's keep reading. Verses 36 through 38. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks along the road. And as he was drawing near, already 
on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. All right, as the crowd kept swelling and swelling, momentum kept building and building, and it wasn't long before people broke out into a song. And how did they know the lyrics? Is it like the high school musical thing where they all just know what to do? No, no, they, they knew these lyrics, right? Because the words are from Psalm 118. Look at this, 118, 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When the pilgrims would travel, get this, to Jerusalem for festivals, they would sing. They would sing Psalms 1 through 13 through 118. And these were songs that spoke to the hope that the Savior's coming soon. So they knew the lyrics to that song. And as Jesus is coming down that hill, they're like, ah, this is it. This is the moment. This is our year. It's interesting to note, Matthew, Mark, and John, the authors of those three other accounts, they added that people were also crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. You heard that in the song, right? Hosanna. It's a word that we don't have a direct translation to in English. It roughly translates into save us, but as I, you, know, you dig into that word, you seem to see there's, there's a lot more to it than that. It's also an expression of adoration, an expression of praise, an expression of joy, and it appears to also have a nationalistic slash militaristic slash God is on our side battle cry aspect to it as well. Well, according to Matthew, who was an eyewitness, who heard people saying, Hosanna, he said this stirred up the entire city. All 200,000, all 300,000 were stirred up by this. Now, if this were a rally today, what would people be doing with their phones, right? Today, if this was a, 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 some big rally where all this is happening, they get their phones out and the first, you know, you'd see some of them would be doing this. Oh man, look at that. That is so cool. They'd be, they'd be filming it. What would others be doing? They'd, they'd, they'd be all like, I can't, I can't do this. I, I don't know how to do these selfies, but, but they'd be all like, like this. They'd be all, hey, Hosanna. Am I doing it right, Sam? Sam is just over there. <laughs> Hosanna. You know, they'd, they'd be doing all that. And then they'd find the best one, you know, and they'd splice it up and they'd post it and put those little whatever it is they put on it. That's what people be doing today. Versus, that, that went a lot better in my head than it just went right now. <laughs> Let's go back to the word. How about that? Amen. I hear people saying amen all, all the way over here. Okay. Um, go back to a word. Look at this. Luke 19, 39 through 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And what did Jesus say? He said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And as I was studying this passage, I came across a very interesting take. You know, when, I, when I've read that in the past, I've always thought of Jesus referring to the stones along the road, and he could have. The, the Greek word can mean any kind of stone. But one take from one of the scholars was this. They said, Jesus may have been referring to the stones, the massive stones in the temple. And that's an interesting take. In Luke, the passage we're reading, he does refer to the temple stones. You'll actually see this in 19, chapter 19, verse 44. And then even a little further along, Luke 20, 17, Jesus talks about how this, quote, stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, so if Jesus is pointing to the temple, 
that adds a whole nother layer of richness here. But that's, that's kind of taking us on a, on a, on a trail that, that I don't want to spend much time on today because here's the main thing I want us to focus on right now. What does Jesus do as these people are quoting scripture and they're singing these God songs and they're cheering? What does Jesus do when there's all this celebration, when the whole town is stirred? Let's take a look. Let's open back up. Luke 19.41, as Jesus sees all this celebration, as Jesus sees all this momentum building, as people appear to be recognizing that their Savior has come, as he drew near to the city, he what? At home, say this with me. He, he wept. Jesus wept. What is going on? While everyone else was doing the things that you think would make Jesus smile, he weeps. Luke thought that was worth noting. So I want to invite you to write that down in your notes as well. Jesus wept on that first Palm Sunday. This is unexpected. Let's, let's keep reading. Verses 41 through 44, we're going to look at now. As, as Jesus drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. They will surround you. They will hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Guys, we got a hard word here today. Why is Jesus weeping? He's weeping because he can see what is to come. Remember, he could see what to come with the donkey. That was just nothing. He can see what is to come. He could see the path that they were on and where it was really taking them. They're crying out, Hosanna, which roughly means, what, save us. They're quoting the Bible, but they're heading to a cliff. This is worth writing down and reflecting on. Our Savior sees beneath the surface. Jesus could see the path they were on. Go ahead, Google this. Look up the history on this. He could see ahead to the year 70 AD. He could see Titus of Rome leading an army that would surround Jerusalem. He could see the children of Israel hemmed in on every side. And he could see the horrors that would come when Rome starved and then destroyed the city. How does Jesus respond? He responds with the heart of a savior who came to seek and save the lost. With the passion of a Christ who desires all to be saved. That's how he responds. Jesus weeps as you would weep or I would weep if we could see what Jesus saw in that moment. And you're weeping, my weeping, it may even be mixed with anger, which is exactly what we see next. Verses 45 to 46. And Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of what? Of robbers. Man, you ever felt that way? We just want to just clear the temple. There are, there are times I just want to take all these phones, you ever, parents especially, do you ever want to just take these phones and throw them off a cliff? Yeah, every head in this room right now is nodding. 
If this room was filled with people, we'd be nodding. There's times you just get so frustrated at what these things are doing and the way they're leading people. You just want to throw them all off a cliff. There's other times where, where you look at the actions of people who are leading others astray, and, and it's just so hard to even contain the anger that you feel inside because you know where these people are leading others. Matthew adds this. You guys, this is so interesting. Matthew adds that once Jesus cleared out the temple courts, when he cast out all those people that really shouldn't have been doing things the way they were doing them, when he did that, you know what happened? Go ahead and read it. What happened was the blind, Matthew says, those who needed healing, they were able to come back into the courts. Matthew says kids began coming into the courts and began singing Hosanna to the son of David. I want to hit pause here for a second. If I ever get hit by a, not, I don't mean, I'm not, I don't mean stopping the tape. I mean, just on what we're talking. If I ever get hit by a bus for, or something, you guys, make sure that Emmanuel always continues to be a place where we welcome kids. And I want to say thank you to Sam. I want to th- say thank you to Levi Gaynor. I want to say thank you to all who work so hard to include the kids in, in, in this Palm Sunday here online so that they could be a part of this with us. That makes Jesus smile. It makes him smile. All right, when, when Jesus cleared the temple for a brief moment, people could see things the way they should have been, the way they could have been all along. And, and, and here's where I wanna, wanna, wanna really focus this in now on us, you guys, um, because it is so easy to look at others and point fingers, right? They should be doing this, they should be doing this, they should be doing this. It's really important for us to, to, to look in the mirror here on this. This is the question that matters most right now. When Christ looks beneath the surface of your life, what does he see? One of the things I appreciate so much about the ECC family is how we desire authenticity. But authenticity, it is such an ongoing challenge, isn't it? You know, I, I think usually that I'm living pretty modestly until I go visit my friends in Juarez. And I realize, man, man, I'm living a life of such abundance. Just last week, or just this week actually, just this week, I was convicted. Convicted about how my prayer life, it looks so different. It looks so different when I'm in a crisis and how I'm just, I'm, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. And then when things are okay, or at least appear to be okay, how that changes. I ended up actually this week, one of my post-its, I wrote abide, stuck it on there because I forget just this great invitation we have for God to abide in his presence all the time. The Bible is filled. It is filled with warnings. It is filled with wake-up calls that are directed to people like you and me who we think we are on the right path, but that path that we're on is taking us someplace we don't want to go, oftentimes towards a cliff. And the frequency that these warnings appear, the, the wake-up calls appear, it is, it is especially high right around this triumphal entry, right around Palm Sunday. Try this sometimes. Get, get a Bible um, that's called a red-letter Bible, the ones where they put the letters of, of Jesus, the words of Jesus in red, and then open it up, drop a pin on triumphal entry, and do this on any one of the Gospels, and look at the red letters. Look at Jesus, what Jesus is talking about right around that event. And it, those are filled filled with warnings, filled with wake-up calls for people who think everything's okay, but everything's not okay. Some of the strongest words of all 
are for religious people. People who think they're taking, quote, strong stands for God. And I think about, when I read those words, I think about today. I think about all the people who are doing similar things, especially online. So much of what's being posted and tweeted and Facebook in the name of taking a strong stand, it's what Jesus said, what you're doing is you're straining out a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. You're straining out the smallest of the unclean things that you can eat and you're swallowing the biggest one. We're quoting chapter and verse in these tweets or these Facebooks, these posts, but we're neglecting what Jesus himself calls the weightier measures of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, love. Look it up. Matthew 23, in it, Jesus says, and these are his words. He says, if you go ahead and convert somebody to that teaching that you're putting out there, he says this, he says, you will make them into twice the son of hell that you are. Okay, on the other extreme from that, we have people who resemble the Corinthians, who were disregarding what Jesus says about keeping your, God's commandments. Jesus said this, he made it as clear as he can. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And why are they there? They're there because God loves us. They are, they are protective guardrails that your heavenly Father who loves you has put in place. And here's what people are doing these days. They're not just jumping the guardrails themselves. They're doing this. They're, they're saying, hey, everybody, hey, everybody, there's a great view on the other side of this guardrail. Let's all go take a picture. And the guardrail has red letters of Jesus saying, don't do this thing. Stay here. And they go over it in the name of God's love, in grace. And they get to the edge of that cliff and they're all like, hey, everybody, say God's grace. And they fall off that cliff. And Jesus weeps as people lead others over these guardrails that Jesus himself warned us about. There's a lot of examples in the scripture of these wake-up calls, these warnings. A lot of them have a lot to do with money and possessions. Right in Luke, just a few chapters before the chapter we read from, Jesus tells the story of a successful man. He's building wealth. He's planning for his retirement. And God calls him a what? He calls him a fool. And we find these red-letter words, One's life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. When our time comes, what matters most is whether we were, and these are Jesus' words, rich towards God. All right, what does rich towards God look like? It looks like a lot of things. Here's one of them. Matthew gives us an example, chapter 25 of his gospel. When Jesus comes back, not only to make things right in the temple courts, but to make things right in the cosmos, throughout the world, there are strong red letter words for those who are not welcoming strangers, giving the hungry something to eat, visiting those who are sick and in prison. If you want a selfie that makes Jesus smile, take a photo with a widow, with an orphan, who you are loving as you would want to be loved. All right, let me give you just one more. This one really makes Jesus weep. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Here's my question. What kind of training are our young people getting today? Now, this is a longer conversation. We've had it before. We had a whole series on it. We'll have it again in the future because this is such an important and crucial conversation. But let me just say this about it now. Today's kids, most of them, 
They're not being trained in the way of God at home and they're not being trained in the way of God in the churches. What are they being trained in? What kind of training they're receiving? And here's what's happening. Senior year comes and Christian parents, they have a, oh no, what have I done moment? Because they realize their child has been trained in the way to go. But who's done the training? The world. And now deep, deep regret sets in because those parents realize they've been trained in the ways of the world and they're likely not going to depart from those ways. All right. This just gets heavier and heavier. Anyone ready for some good news? <laughs> Sam, you ready for some, some good news? Well, there is good news. The Bible is good news. Can I get an amen? amen? It is good news. Let's talk about the good news. If you haven't written anything else down, please take note of this. Lent is almost over, but it's not too late. Say that with me. It's not too late. Remember, where do those warnings come from? They come from a Savior who came to seek and save the lost. They come from a Savior who desires all to come to Him to be saved. They come from a Savior who weeps, who tosses tables, who does the same things that you and I would do if we could see what He sees and if we loved like He loves. Luke is loaded with stories that have happy endings. In fact, Jesus' last stop before he rides into Jerusalem is to the house of a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus turns. Zacchaeus repents. Zacchaeus stops doing the things that were taking him down that other path. And what does Jesus say? He says, and I quote, Today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. Jesus could see in Zacchaeus, someone who wanted more than could be found on the sidelines of a parade. I was thinking about that and then I was thinking back to what Pastor Jason shared last week, the story of Nate Saint. After the service, so many people shared how, yeah, we know about Nate. His story, man, it impacted my life. Well, think about this. Nate Saint and his wife Marge, they, they were doing their thing in the 50s, right? And, and their friends were, 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 were ministering there in the 50s. What if they were content to just go to Billy Graham Crusades and take their selfies with those big old cameras they had back then, right? Imagine that, if they were content to do that. As was the case with Zachariah, Zacchaeus 2,000 years before, they had found a treasure worth losing everything to gain. And they couldn't just sit there taking selfies on the sidelines. And right now, even though they gave up their lives, right now, do they have joy or do they have regret? 10,000 years from now, are they going to be experiencing joy or regret? 100,000 years from now, joy or regret? A million years from now, these people who, who lost everything according to the world standards, are they experiencing joy or regret? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the gospel that changes us. This is the gospel that changes the world. Throughout the entire season of Lent, we've been inviting you to go beyond simply singing songs and listening to messages. Lent is almost over, but it's not too late. Let me leave you with this. You want to bring a smile to your Savior's face? Number one, 
Reflect on the sincerity of your Hosanna this Friday and celebrate the certainty of His promises on Easter. There was a huge crowd on Palm Sunday, huge cheering crowd that made Jesus what? Made Him weep. A lot smaller crowd Good Friday, even smaller crowd at the empty tomb. But those two experiences changed them and it changed the world through them and what God was doing through them. So this week, don't skip the funeral. This week, don't skip the celebration. This week, let's make the most of Good Friday and we're doing everything we can to craft a special Good Friday service just for you that's gonna help us to become real and look beneath the surface and see as Jesus saw. And on Easter, I'm so excited. There's a word that I believe God has for our church for the future. So we hope you can come back and join us for those events. But right now, let's join our voices in one of these great new songs that we've been working on here during Lent. And I invite you to not just sing it, but I invite you to sing it with passion and with sincerity. Let's do it. <laughs> 